Welcome to The Greenhouse, ASU's first environmental show, live from the Bill Austin Radio Studio on Blaze Radio on blazeradioonline.com. I'm Anna Snow. And I'm Breath on the Wall. We break down everything you need to know about planet Earth. On today's show, we break down what the ozone layer is. The ozone layer plays a critical role in our environment. Find out what that role is and how the current pace we are could eliminate the benefits that ozone currently has. Plus, we're going to take a look at oil and understand the issues surrounding its transportation, including pipelines. We explain the history behind it, the reason for its popularity, and break down why everyone is talking about it in the news at this hour. The greenhouse starts right now. So let's talk about ozone. Ozone is a naturally occurring and man-made substance. It, it has like a, a dual duality. Um, the naturally occurring ozone comes through the stratospheric ozone. This is like ozone that is up in the atmosphere and has been there since the earth was created but there's also another one called ground level ozone and that is what we um see naturally sometimes uh, and man-made yeah and we talked about that last week um on the show the dangerous levels of ozone coming from the ground something you know that like i just mentioned we talked about last week and that's the man-made kind um, and so ground-level ozone makes smog and haze, which happens when two dangerous pollutants, volatile organic compound, or VOCs, and nitrous oxides form. Uh, simply, VOCs come from gas, paints, and other aerosol products. Um, nitrous oxide happens when there is a combustion of heat, which is why smog is prominent and increasing on like hot days and in hot areas, you know, like Phoenix, Arizona. Yeah, or anything... And just anywhere warm. Mm-hmm. Um, just to recap a little bit more from last week, obviously breathing in pollutants can cause problems and ozone as a pollutant is no different. Um, ozone on the ground can create respiratory illness. Um, there's a whole bunch of things surrounding that. But today, we're not going to be talking about that. We're going to be talking about the ozone up top. It's called stratospheric ozone. We know that it protects us from UV light, which in turn protects us from diseases that are caused by direct light, like cancer and other exposure that could affect our eyesight. Um, But what's more is direct sunlight that is prevented by ozone can threaten photosynthesis, which affects crop yield. So it's all-encompassing. I I remember a lot in um, like elementary school, they would teach you ozone is like the Earth's sunblock, or it's like the Earth's sunglasses and stuff. You know, I remember that same thing. Yes, it protects you from um, the sun, basically. Um, But why are we lacking in ozone? Where is it going? Well, um, it's coming from humans, and we've noticed this since the 1970s. Um, Ozone has been depleting due to ozone-depleting substances, which, you know, very aptly named. Um, it is caused by a pollutant known as chlorofluorocarbons, um, and they have chlorine, fluoride, and carbon, as the name would suggest. Basically, they occur from coolants such as refrigerators and air conditioners, um, and even if it is a fun word to say, chlorofluorocarbons, um, they are still very, very bad for the environment. They are horrible for the environment, and they break down the ozone. So let's explain chemically how that happens. So when sunlight hits this pollutant, the chlorine splits apart. It's almost like breaking up the chlorofluorocarbon. Mm -hmm. This particle from the chlorofluorocarbon goes into the ozone and breaks the ozone apart as like a separator. So ozone has three particles. And even when one particle gets separate, it turns into something completely different. Uh, That's what chemistry does do. That's how tiny the details are in chemistry. Um, So when chlorine affects ozone, 
it completely destroys it. And it can destroy almost a thousand particles. One oh, chlorine. Wow. So it's a lot. It's really impactful. And this has been happening a lot, unfortunately. Our levels of ozone are getting thin. Some are even describing it as a hole in the ozone. Um, now, it is not a straight open hole as opposed to a very thin margin up in the air. NASA describes an ozone hole whenever ozone is less than 220 Dobson units, which Dobson units is how they measure ozone. Um, for comparison, Earth is now roughly around 300 Dobson units, so a hole is way, way below average. Now, typically, we don't like to see an ozone hole because that means sunlight is getting through, and then we get all these negative uh, effect, side effects that we talked about. But sometimes, a hole in the ozone happens naturally. This is the idea called an Arctic ozone hole, and what happens is ozone is depleted, but it's during the latter half of the year. Um, this is because naturally occurring weather patterns formed by a cold polar vortex, that's a vocab word, <laughs> um, triggers a reaction in the chlorine, chlorine that does the same thing to the ozone by breaking it apart. So it happens naturally. Um, yeah. So ozone naturally depletes, yes, but it also naturally regenerates in the spring. Um, the problem is when an excessive amount of ozone is depleted, it will not be able to regenerate in time. As of now, ozone is not expected to come back um, until the later half of this century. That takes, um, that's a long time to yeah, regenerate. Yes. This is a problem because when there is no ozone in the air, um, we are exposed to greenhouse gases. Um, they, and that heats up the planet. We're not being protected from the sun anymore. Um, and so if, if the ozone is like the Earth's sunblock, then greenhouse gases are like a blanket. Or They're a just trapping heat. Um, it's just why it's called the blanket effect. Um, instead of blocking out direct sunlight like the ozone does, it just keeps it all here on this planet. Exactly. It's, it's like all the heat will still be able to get in with greenhouse gases, but then they won't be able to escape, which can be yeah. really problematic. Yeah. So what can we do? We mentioned problems from chlorine. We mentioned that chlorine is the reason a lot of this ozone breaks apart. That doesn't mean you have to start avoiding the pool in any way because of the chlorine in the pool. Um, chlorine from the pools actually doesn't make it up all the way to the atmosphere. Um, it's other dangerous forms of chlorine that do so and molecules that travel up in the air. Uh, a lot of the times, the best thing you can do is choose responsible products and aerosols. Um, luckily, the need is not always going to be placed on us humans. Uh, there are actually laws on the book that tie the responsibility of companies to make sure they're not giving pollutants in their products to start with, which mm -hmm. is a good move. Yeah, and so, I mean, you always, there are plenty of options, you know, for like hairsprays or dry shampoos that are aerosol-free, um, but you don't always have to make that choice. There are laws for what these aerosol products can have in them and stuff. Um, and one of these is the Montreal Protocol from 1987, and it bans or limits the use of nearly 100 man-made chemicals. The bill officially names ozone-depleting substances. It also requires transparency, like measuring and reporting levels and making special exceptions. This is the only bill um, every nation has agreed to. On the United States level, um, there is the Clean Air Act, which was signed in 1967, and this law created the EPA and established a set of air quality standards. The act was amended in 1990 to account for pollutants and create ground-level ozone and stratospheric ozone depletion. So there are a lot of laws that are trying to protect um, the level of air. I want to go back to something. Mm -hmm. um, the Montreal Protocol, signed by the UN, was the first bill to date that all 198 nations that were a part of, at least at that time, agreed to. Wow. So, and we're recording this at a time when 
there are a lot of international tensions going on. Mm -hmm. So a bill about the environment being able to unify so many people um, is really something that we marvel at and we are hopeful for at a time like this. And that's one thing I think about you know, just environmental issues in general is like, I think it shouldn't matter what party or what country or whatever. We all live here. We, this is the planet that we all have. There is no other planet, you know? So I feel like no matter what you believe in for the economy or for other issues, like you still live here. I think we should all agree to protect um, this planet. And so I think that that is a really good example of countries that would agree on almost nothing else can agree that we need clean air to breathe we need ozone to protect us from the sun exactly and land you can like when we talked about deforestation last mm -hmm. week is like you can see why countries like to be selfish or, or and like be selective about what they do because yeah. they are land it can't be transferred anywhere mm -hmm. but air circulates around the globe yeah water circulates around the globe so mm -hmm. it's a connected thing definitely and there's a lot more you can do besides avoiding chlorine, because just because chlorine plays a significant role in the destruction of ozone, um, there are still other pollutants that destroy. Mm -hmm. uh, greenhouse gases are another thing that have a negative effect on the ozone, just not as big of an impact as chlorine may have. And then, you know, similar things we talked about last week, like maybe carpooling or public transportation or riding your bike or something, instead of taking your car to minimize gasoline, um, is a great way, just any, any way you can decrease the amount of uh, greenhouse gases that you are putting out yourself. Gasoline um, is such a constraint on the mm -hmm. environment, like from getting the oil out, which we're going to talk about, talk in a about later, bit, yep. um, to the, transporting it. Um, and also one way you can try to cut back is using, avoiding using certain cleaning products that are very, very harsh chemicals um, because they, those chemicals get released into the atmosphere as well as those chemicals when you wash them down your drain. They, get, they can get into the water supply and hurt animals. They're just not good. Um, my mom always, she would buy this like really big bottle of just like vinegar and water and lemon juice. And she would literally buy it at the dollar store and there were like three ingredients in it. <laughs> and I was like, that's crazy. And she would use it to clean everything. Um, Smart. so, and that's, and you can also make stuff like that. You can use your own solution of like vinegar, water, lemon juice, different things like that. And you can make it for different surfaces, but you don't have to make it. There are products on the market that are natural. And there's so many ways that so many steps that you can take. And as you said, like a lot of homemade mm -hmm. price effective solutions. Yes. And then, you know, we talked about coolants, refrigerators and air conditioners releasing these chemicals. Um, one of the best ways to help with that is I am not suggesting you don't use your fridge or you don't use your air conditioner here in Phoenix where it'll be 120 in the summer, but keeping those things up to date, making sure you have the newest technology because newer systems are a lot better at maintaining those chemicals than like say older systems where they didn't know when they were making it, um, making sure everything's running properly in your house, stuff like that. Yeah, so there's a lot of things you can do on an individual level, and there are a lot of things that the government has also done to help. So it's a really mm -hmm. all-encompassing solution is just our job to implement it correctly because it's important to remember, ozone is a natural resource that while we're lucky, it regenerates and is able to come back from environmental harm Like, because not a lot of things can. Um, it's, we're, it's our duty to be careful um, because ozone is such an important resource. Yes. Um, so ozone is very important. We've talked about that, um, but we're going to take a quick break um, and we will be right back with the greenhouse. Good evening, everyone. Or morning or afternoon, depending on when you hear this. I hope our voices find you well. Now, imagine that you're listening to music at the beach. Everybody or a middle school dance. What you say? 
Imagine that you just broke your nail. Or that you're a 17-year-old girl. Interested? Intrigued? Tune into Storyboard, Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. I'm Amber Singer. And I'm Anna Snow. And, and we, we approve, approve this message. Welcome back to The Greenhouse on Blaze Radio and blazeradioonline.com. We just finished talking about a hole in the ozone, and now we want to turn our attention a little bit to what's happening on the ground level around the world, and that's oil. Uh, so as you know, oil is a fossil fuel, and it has a huge role in our world right now. Oil, petroleum, they're all very important because you forget how much, how involved this natural resource is. They make an important impact, um, allowing like the movement of vehicles through gasoline, heating of buildings, and then even in other materials like plastics, solvents, and just another a, lot, a variety of stuff. Oil is also a huge export. In 2020, the U.S. consumed nearly 20 million barrels of oil per day. Um, consumers, uh, one-fifth of the world's, that was one-fifth of the world's consumption of barrels, according to the Energy Information Administration, and two-thirds of it were used for transportation. Yeah, so that's a big thing. Um, but it's also something that can be fixed. Mm-hmm. Um, Oil comes from natural decomposition of dead organisms, um, hence the term fossil fuels. Uh, coal and natural gas are similar in the way that they're made that way. Um, but because of natural factors and just ways that the world was back in the time, oil is not found equally in the world, yet it still needs to be spread equally yeah. for our society to function um, using the resources we have. Uh, for context, the U.S. produces the most and Russia comes in second, and Iran comes in third in terms of production. Oil is not extracted in a usable form, just like mining, where it needs to be refined or something. Uh, much of this time, much of the time, it needs to go through an oil refinery, um, and that creates energy and waste and stuff. Um, and just like you imagined, with smog stacks and pollution and all that, um, after it goes through this process, then it can be used and transported. And oftentimes this transportation has to go a while because of infrastructure. Only so many spots have refineries that can be built because refineries need a lot of space yeah. uh, for storage. Uh, every cu country, as we talked about, needs oil in some sense. So there has to be a way to transport oil safely. So through innovations, we found special trains, trucks, and boats to move oil. However, sometimes that can be inefficient. Uh, so... We, uh, and as well, you need, train, you need oil for trains, trucks, and boats to move. So you're transporting oil, but you also need the oil. Uh, so for most countries, they elect a very efficient way to do it. And this is, the, this is transferring it through an oil pipeline. It decreases travel time and makes the logistics work better. So pipelines do not rely on human power. They work 24-7, 365 days a year. They just, they're always going. Um, and this method is very popular in the United States. 190,000 miles of pipeline just for liquid petroleum here in the United States. And even more, there are 2.4 million miles of pipeline for natural gas, which goes directly into people's homes and is typically used for things like stoves. When you look at the strategy, I guess a lot of people always want to find the most efficient way to transfer whatever resource they need. And relying on something that isn't necessarily human-made um, makes that a lot easier. Mm -hmm. um, 
the one thing with pipelines, and they don't cause a huge problem, is because a lot of times they're hidden underground. However, that requires a lot of drilling and disturbing natural habitats. So many safety precautions need to be taken, like ensuring you're not digging into the water supply and contaminating it. Um, it's also possible that there's a leakage that could contaminate natural soil and the land. And with a pipeline being hidden so underground, you can sometimes never detect it. So mm -hmm. a lot of safety protocols need to be taken. And another negative aspect of pipelines is it requires a lot of metal mm -hmm. to construct the pipeline. So metal in the ground. And I think you also have to think about the animals and plants that are already living there that even though maybe after it's already in the ground, they would come back or something, but it still disturbs their habitat to install it, you know? Yeah, and um, relocating them. Yeah, definitely. And then luckily, though, there are some safety precautions um, that come from our government regulations. There are five laws regarding natural pipeline safety dating all the way back to 1968, which is great, but most activity of the Pipeline Improvement Act of 2002, um, that's the most recent one, so it's been a little while. Um, there is also an Office of Pipeline Safety under the Department of Transportation, which I do think is interesting that that goes under Department of Transportation. I wonder the same thing. And not like environmental, environmental protection agency. Yeah. Um, it's really strange. And it's, it's hats off to people recognizing that we need precautions starting all the way back in 1968. But it's been a long time, 20 years since we got the last mm -hmm. official pipeline safety standards. Um, now, the good news is that a lot of planning has to go into getting a pipeline. You can't just do it on a whim. Um, it takes about a year minimum to get a pipeline approved. And mm -hmm. those are often for like smaller pipelines. Uh, for bigger ones, takes much longer. Um, there are so many governmental bodies that you have to go through for approval. In order to get a pipeline, here's just an example. You have to pass the Department of Transportation, the Department of Interior, and the Environmental Protection Agency. That is just three of the tw of 12 total agencies wow. you have to get by. Wow. Nine other ones you still have to do. So it takes a while. As of now, there are 185 operational pipelines. However, 34 additional ones are under construction. A majority of the 185 are in the continent or are in the central U.S. And of the 34 new ones, a majority of them use untapped reservoirs in Louisiana, Texas, and Alaska. Um, as of 2016, Arizona has 32 oil and natural petroleum and natural gas wells. Um, these are transported via pipeline and are owned and operated by the Kinder Morgan Incorporated. I haven't lived in Arizona um, much, but I did not know we had a pipeline here. Mm -hmm. um, so it's, kind of, it's interesting to see that. Um, due to its sheer nature, uh, pipelines can be intrusive. Um, in order to be efficient, pipelines have to sometimes interfere on private property and we've seen this come back to be difficult in mm -hmm. the past um oftentimes even if pipelines are underground they still have to be a part of the landowner's soil and sometimes mm -hmm. that land is not always public um even worse sometimes continental pipelines have to be added after the fact after the house is built and after everything um after everyone has moved in and it's like being used for something um and you may find this surprising but the government is allowed to take land through a process called eminent domain. So what is eminent domain? Well, it's when the government must negotiate with you for your land almost as if to take it back. And if they are unable to negotiate, then they can just take it if it is being used for the public good. Fifth Amendment requires usage of proper compensation, but they can still do that. Yeah, so 
you know, if you think if you think of an example, say something you have is worth twenty dollars. Mm-hmm. I give you fifteen for it. You don't like that deal. I can still take it for fifteen dollars mm-hmm. if I make that offer to you because I believe the government is also in charge of like deciding what is just. It's such a, a yeah. big term. Um, one another issue is that the whole aspect of indigenous tribes and mm-hmm. their tribal land. Um, We've seen problems like this in the past with the Dakota Access Pipeline. This pipeline is 1,172 miles long, carries oil from North Dakota to Illinois, so in that central United States region. Mm -hmm. Um, You must have seen this in the news a while back. Um, Mm -hmm. In oil terms, they recently started production in 2017. Um, It carries a significant amount of oil, 570,000 barrels of oil a day. Um, the company in charge shows off the skills with their pipeline by saying how much resources they avoid. They avoid transportation of 3,000 trucks and 815 railroad cars a day. So it looks like great statistics. Mm-hmm. But this region is located on the home of the indigenous of many indigenous tribes, including the Standing Rock Sioux tribe. Uh, the pipeline directly crosses over their land. And this is there is a way to go around it, but it would be... Um, too far out of the way, in the opinion of the company. There, the uh, I, there was a, there was a statement from this Sioux tribe, the Standing Rock Sioux tribe, and they said that we had offered an alternative that went around our land, and it wasn't a significant portion. Um, the Sioux tribe say in a statement, "quote The Dakota Access Pipeline poses a serious risk to the survival of our tribe and would destroy cultural and destroy valuable cultural resources." So there's nothing that can be done right now. Pipeline production is in full swing. It's already been built, and the cultural resources have already been destroyed. But this is just mm-hmm. a story of what can happen when it comes to building pipelines. And, I mean, we've talked about this on the show here before. Of course, we know that natives here in the United States have historically been treated very, very poorly. Um, and I think – now, I'm not Native myself, and so I don't want to, like, speak for them. But I do know, like, land for them, it's, like – you know, a lot of times it's a very, like, religious and cultural experience. It's sacred land. And so you can't disturb that, you know. Exactly. There's so much, like, there's so much that goes around it. And mm-hmm. to not recognize the impact of it yeah. is disastrous. So the pipeline has been doing well. The company is trying to has been trying to expand since 2019, optimize their oil output. They're trying to cut corners and avoid environmental inspections, though. And a Supreme Court case actually came in yesterday saying that this is not allowed. Standing Rock Sioux Tribe wants to shut down the pipeline indefinitely while this problem is sorted out. Exactly. And this is not the only pipeline in the u- news right now. We're going to talk a little bit about politics. Um Another pipeline in use is uh, across the world right now is in Russia, which we have our problems with right now, mm-hmm. uh, and is currently being used as a political bargaining chip. So Germany, a close ally of the United States, has a partnership with an oil pipeline in Russia. It's called the Nord Stream 2 gas pipeline. Built in September, travels 750 miles, provides a lot of oil. Germany is a lot more politically aligned with the U.S., mm-hmm. but they rely on Russia for their oil, and so does the entire Europe, European Union. So with the whole Ukraine-Russia emergency, earlier on in this emergency, the U.S. wasn't sure if Germ- whose side Germany would be on since their business interests were on the line. Um, luckily, as of now, uh, the pipeline has shut down mm-hmm. due to this diplomatic situation, but it shows you how 
it really shows you governments mm-hmm. and what they're doing. It is really interesting to look at this topic and these pipelines and how the governments they're intertwined and you know how could further you know government interests and you know taking land from indigenous people and also I would say are these people like is this pipeline being shut down going to affect individuals in Germany are they not going to have the oil. oil and stuff they need to run their cars and their homes and stuff and how will prices you know, jump up so you know in America you know the people here who it's affecting are the indigenous people and the government's ignoring them. How, And now it seems like maybe the German and Russian government aren't thinking for, thinking about their people that much either. I don't really know. Um, but it's it, definitely interesting to talk about. Yeah, and what can you as an individual do? Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of times we have to say something like, there's not much you can do. You can negotiate, you can protest and mm-hmm. hope for the best. And in this case, you can protest and hope for the best. And in the past... It has worked. Um, There's something called the Constitutional Pipeline in New York and Pennsylvania. In 2020, shut down. The Northern Access Pipeline in New York and Pennsylvania, February of 2021, shut down. And the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, also uh, on the eastern side of the U.S., um, September 2020, shut down. So they've shut down because of protests. And as long as it is early in the process, there's the opportunity to hopefully make an impact. And what can we as individuals do if you're not one to, you know, get out there on the, the front lines and get protesting, um, which is not for everyone. And exactly. that is perfectly fine and understandable. Um, but you can try to avoid or limit your use of things with petroleum and gas and things like that. Um, and but I mean, realistically, sometimes you need it. So not fully cut it out, but try to limit Yeah. Um, better cars, anything like that. Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, thank you for joining us today. Um, we discussed the hole in our ozone layer and what impact this truly has on our environment, things that could be um, scary and affect human life. And we also talked about oil pipelines and understanding the purpose behind them and acknowledging their drawbacks and like mm-hmm. the complicated past they have. Tune into your student station, Blaze Radio, on blazeradioonline.com to learn all things planet Earth. I'm Anna Snow. And I'm Pratham Ball. Have a great day.